Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Journey. So glad you are here. I had a chance this weekend uh, with Danielle to be in Birmingham, Alabama, doing a wedding for two of our team members, Hannah uh, Rice, who's now Hannah Sanderson, and her husband, Hannon. We were so glad to be able to be with them. And I did not get back for Sunday morning, but we are in the midst of a brand new series. So I wanted to be here speaking to you today as we continue to work our way into and through the way of Jesus. For those of you who are sitting outside today, welcome. We're glad you're here. You would not even have known that I probably wasn't in the building if I wouldn't have said anything. And for those of you who are watching online, we're so glad that you're with us each week. Please know that we love you and we miss you. If there's anything we can do to serve you in this season uh, where you are not able to come back to church yet, please don't hesitate to let us know. It would be our absolute honor and joy uh, to minister to you and know that we can't wait, even if it's a couple months or sometime next year, we can't wait to see you soon uh, back at church when you are able to make your way back to church. We are in week two of a series that we are calling The Way of Jesus, and we are so excited about what we are learning. Here's the premise of this series. Say, why are we studying the way of Jesus? Our goal as a church is to learn the way of Jesus so we can live like Jesus as followers of Jesus. Oswald Chambers, so many of us all year long have been reading my utmost for his highest, said, Jesus Christ did not come only to teach. He came to make me what he teaches that I should be. And that's the goal of this series, not just to learn what Jesus teaches, but to learn how to become what Jesus teaches I should be. That's the whole goal of this entire series. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're back in Matthew 5 today. We'll be there for the next eight weeks, and then we're just going to stay in the book of Matthew until we're done. So we may be years in the book of Matthew, and as we get ready to dig into Matthew chapter 5 today, here's what I want to tell you the goals of the message are. If we get through today and we do well, here's what we're going to accomplish. Number one, we just want to very simply, um, in a simple understanding, understand what it means to be poor in spirit. It's one of our goals today, to teach you what it means to be poor in spirit. In order to do that, I'm going to teach you a phrase that when you say it, you may feel it deeply. When you say it, you might actually reject it deeply. But I want you to say this today. I want you to get ready. I'm going to give you two phrases to say. Here's what I want you to say. I want you to say these three words, I cannot do. Say them. Say them out loud. Say the words, I cannot do, and then say this, what Jesus requires of me. I want you to say it again, out loud together. I cannot do what Jesus requires of me. That phrase, in a nutshell, is what it means to be poor in spirit, to understand we do not have what it takes to do what Jesus asked us to do. If that feels really good coming out of your mouth, if that gives you a little freedom coming out of your mouth, you're well on your way to, have, to, to being poor in spirit. If you get a little pushback saying, it, say, I don't know, I don't know if that's true that I can't do what Jesus requires of me, then we might need to learn some things about your spirit. But you say, Christian, do you really believe? I mean, do you really believe as a follower of Jesus that I cannot do what God requires of me? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, when Jesus gets past the Beatitudes and into his teaching a little further, he will say this of his followers, that if you want to connect to God, you have to be perfect like God is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That verse is meant to give us the reaction that helps us understand we're poor in spirit. When we look at this verse, the proper response is, I don't think I can do that. I don't think, if this is what God requires, I don't think I can do what God requires. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You say, Christian, man, I'm not sure. Like, are you sure even after I become a follower of Jesus? Like, 
Are you sure I can't do what God requires? Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3. He says it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have been turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. When you begin to embrace this verse, and you put yourself in the lines of this verse as someone who doesn't understand, as someone who doesn't seek God, as someone spiritually who's almost a little worthless, if you can get to that point, you can understand what it means to be poor in spirit. But our goal today is to teach you just very simply what it means to be poor in spirit, to have a spirit that understands, I can't do what God requires of me. Let's say it one more time. These three words, I cannot do. Repeat after me. I cannot do what God requires of me. Now turn and say it to someone next to you. Tell them, I cannot do what God requires of me. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And if you're sitting there thinking, "Uh, Christian man, I don't know, then the second goal of today's message might be for you to see warning signs of a prideful spirit. If you don't get to the point where you understand you cannot do what God requires and it takes Jesus, it takes Jesus in your life to help connect you to the God of the universe, those may be some underlying warning signs of maybe having a prideful spirit. I'm going to teach you three today. I think three things that will really help you understand whether or not you've got a spirit of pride you need to deal with or whether or not you've got a spirit that is poor that will allow you to inherit the kingdom of God. As we jump into Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pray. Before we do that, let me say this. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, prayers back on. For those of you still tracking with us in your prayer guide, it's going to be pages 56 and 57 for this week in our prayer time. You're going to take this journal. You're going to fill it out with all the needs, all your calendar appointments, everything you'll do between Monday morning and Sunday afternoon of next week. Lay this into your prayer journal, and I will be back tomorrow morning um, with you live going through Monday morning prayer with you at 6 a.m. I hope to see you there if you're able to make it. Today, we're just going to pray that God speaks to our spirit and helps us understand whether we have any pride we need to deal with and whether or not we are the one who is poor in spirit who can receive the kingdom of heaven. Would you bow your heads and pray with me in our building? For those of you who are sitting outside, for those of you who are watching online, take that deep breath if you haven't taken that yet today. And just to ask God right now, from your heart to heaven, ask God to speak to you. God, that's our prayer that you would speak to us today. There are some hard things that we need to hear. There are some deep things spiritually we need to work through. So God, show us the power of having a poor spirit and show us the danger of having a prideful spirit. Help us to learn how to tear down the kingdom of self ruled by the kingdom of me so that we can enter the kingdom of heaven ruled by King Jesus. God, that's our prayer. Teach us how to be poor in spirit. We love you. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 is where we're hanging out in a section of scripture called the Beatitudes. It says this, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed 
are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The next eight weeks we are going to live in these beatitudes so that we can learn the ways of Jesus. But we're going to stay today in one verse, beatitude number, uh, beatitude number one in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we dig into the text, the first word that we need to look really carefully at is the word blessed. It's the word blessed. Because Jesus begins this sermon, the king beginning kind of the, the mandate of his kingdom by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to say, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You say, what exactly, Christian, does it mean in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says, blessed? That's a great question. You know, the oldest copies of written literature in Western literature are two books called The Odyssey and The Iliad who, who were written, that were written by Homer. Homer was a, a, a Greek author. A lot of times when we read Greek words to understand what they meant to people 2,000 years ago, we go back to his original writings from the 8th century BC, and we see how, how did this Greek word in the New Testament, um, how was it used in culture? How did people understand it to be met? And when you see this word blessed that shows up in Greek culture, often it's used of the Greek gods. Homer often used this Greek word blessed to refer to the Greek gods because it was a word and it was a state reserved for people who lived at a spiritual state that was a little higher than humanity. And here's why Homer said that the gods, the Greek gods, were blessed. He used the word in the Greek, it's makarios. It means happiness derived from an inward contentedness unaffected by the world of men. Homer said that one of the reasons Greek gods were so special is that while they lived on the earth, they were not impacted in their soul by what was happening in the earth. Even though they lived in the world, because of the state of their soul, they were not impacted by what was going on around them. People in Jesus' day didn't believe they could be blessed because they were broken humanity living in a broken world and they were deeply impacted by the world around them. Then this king shows up and he said, my kingdom is gonna be filled with people who are blessed. My, my kingdom is gonna be filled with people who have turned their broken spirit over to me and they've received a spirit that is higher than the rest of humanity. They've received a spirit that has inward contentedness no matter what is going on in the world. They've received the spirit in secular culture. They've received the spirit of the gods. They've received a spirit like the spirit of God. And this wasn't available to the world until a king named Jesus came and began to rule in a kingdom that we now call Christianity. And he offered his followers a chance to turn their broken human spirit over to him so that he could replace it with a blessed supernatural spirit, a spirit that even when everything around you is going wrong, a spirit that could be happy and contented because of what was happening on the inside. Listen, even in 2020, followers of King Jesus can feel blessed. They can feel an inner happiness and contentedness, even when everything is going on around them. Let me say it this way, especially 
when everything is going on around them like 2020, especially in a year like 2020, followers of King Jesus feel blessed. Not even in a year like 2020, especially in a year like 2020. Because this is a year when things around us are going worse than they normally would go. So it is especially in this year that we are grateful to be blessed, to have this inward contentedness and happiness. This should be the year for those of us who live in the kingdom of King Jesus. That we shed more light in the world than any other year before because other times in our life people may have been able to have a happy contentedness inside them but this year there aren't many people who can have that if they don't have a supernatural spirit so this should be a year our light shines brightly blessed it's not just a spirit that we're going to get one day in heaven because jesus said blessed are it's a pronouncement of what is blessed are christians not blessed will be christians when they get to heaven one day not blessed will be christians when they're finally with jesus but blessed are followers of jesus blessed are followers of jesus now a pronouncement of what is not just a pronouncement of what one day will be in eternity when you begin to live life in the kingdom of heaven with a king named jesus as a follower of jesus listen you are blessed you are transformed from the inside out and regardless of what is happening all around you. You have an inner spirit of contented happiness. You have a spirit of the gods because the spirit of God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God has been placed in your heart and in your life. Even in 2020, this should be our year to shine. New Testament historian William Barclay said this about Christianity. Oh, the bliss of being a Christian. Oh, the joy of following Christ. Oh, sheer happiness of knowing Jesus Christ as Master, Savior, and Lord. The very form of the Beatitudes is the statement of the joyous thrill and the radiant gladness of the Christian life. In the face of the Beatitudes, a gloom-encompassed Christianity is unthinkable. Yet some of us, we have had in 2020 a gloom-encompassed Christianity. We have forgotten that we are blessed, that we have been given the Holy Spirit of God, and no matter what happens around us, inside of us, king jesus still sits on the throne amen that is the story of christianity that is the blessedness offered when we begin to follow jesus jesus the way of jesus is a supernatural contentedness that regardless of what's happening in the world jesus sits on the throne of our heart we can live that way you say i want to live that way how do i do it listen to what jesus says how do i live with a supernatural contentedness in my soul jesus says you have to beg for it they have to beg for it. Say, where does he say that? Number two, where he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Three words you should have circled underlined in your Bible. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when we talk about being poor, there are two, two words in the Greek language that they used often to represent poor. Um, one represented communities like the one that I grew up in in southern Ohio. I grew up in a very lower middle class, very nine to five, very blue collar, unionized town where people worked hard for a living. Nobody was going to really uh, find wealth in their life, but, the, but they were going to have a hard working, decent paying job and they were, they were going to make it through life. Um, the world of people who had money, who had wealth would look at them and say that they were poor, but they had what they needed to get by. That was one of the words for poor used in Greek language. People who were just getting by. People who day to day, 
paycheck to paycheck, we're just getting by. That was one word in the Greek language used for poor. There was another one used for people who had absolutely nothing. And that is the word that Jesus uses here for poor in spirit. It is the word patokos in Greek. And it literally means absolute and abject poverty. Probably the best picture of this is someone begging. They do not have a job that gives them a little bit of what they have. They have absolutely nothing and they have no ability to get anything. This would be the picture of a blind beggar. Not just somebody who was begging, but somebody who had to be put in place to beg because they couldn't even beg on their own. This was a picture of a crippled beggar in the book of Acts. Not just somebody who was a beggar, but somebody who had to be carried to where he got to beg. This is somebody who didn't even have enough resources to beg unless somebody helped them beg. And then once they got there, they could beg for what they were going to get. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are people who have nothing. Blessed are people who are beggar, poor, in spirit. Say, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Great question. Poor in spirit means to be someone with no earthly resources, someone with utter spiritual helplessness, someone who has nothing else but to place their trust in God. Jesus said, blessed are people who realize they have absolutely nothing in life to give God, but they can place their trust in God. Blessed are people who come empty-handed with absolutely nothing but they can place their faith in God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They don't believe they have anything to offer anyone, but their broken self to Jesus. You know, the perception of going on the mission field, I love doing mission works. I love being on mission teams with our church. I love being on mission, building churches, building homes, uh, teaching English, doing things in the world that missionaries do. But for a long time, my perception of the mission field was, it just feels easier to reach people on the mission field, especially in people in developing countries because they have absolutely not, they have nothing and they have nothing. So when you show up with Jesus, when they have absolutely nothing and you show up with the message of salvation through Jesus, it's like, how, how could they say no? They, they have nothing to say no in return to. I just felt like evangelistically, it was easier to help people on the mission field find Jesus because there was nothing to compete with Jesus. They had nothing So it was very easy to add Jesus to their life. And I was talking one time to a pastor in Africa about just this mindset of, I love coming over here. I love the simple kind of love that people have for Jesus. I love how people have invested their whole life for Jesus. Like they just seem to be all in. And I said, you know, just there's just a beautiful picture of simple trust in Jesus over here. And he said, oh, Pastor Christian, no, 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 no. He said, people in Africa might be poor, but he said, Christians in America are poor in spirit. I said, help me understand that. People in Africa might be poor, but Christians in America are poor in spirit. And I said, help me understand that. And he said, well, you're right. People are attracted to Jesus here because there's so little else to capture their attention and to give them hope. But he said, in America, people have everything that they need beside Jesus. They have education. They have a husband or wife. They have a good paying job. They have kids. They have health care. They have opportunities for education. They have everything they need. They have boats and they go on vacations and they have vacation homes and they have vacation time. Like in America, they have everything. But when they realize they don't have Jesus, they're willing to give up everything that they do have. Even though physically they're very wealthy by the world standards, people in America who come to Jesus, they're poor in spirit. They realize even though they have everything, without Jesus, they have nothing. And he said, 
That's the kind of faith that I long for. You come here and preach Jesus, and you see how poor people are attracted to the message of Jesus, and they are. But he said, I long to go to America to see rich people who don't count on their riches place their faith in Jesus. To me, that is a big faith. And I thought, he's right. That's poor in spirit. I am rich in everything else in life. But without Jesus, I have nothing. That is poor in spirit. And Jesus said, you are blessed when you are poor in spirit. The crowds that came to Jesus were beggar poor spiritually. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes who would give up their lot in life to become followers of Jesus, they had a lot in life, but they didn't have Jesus. And they came as beggar poor spiritually receiving Jesus' invitation for them. They could not do what God required of them. So they placed their life in the hands of a savior, of a king named Jesus. Say it again, I cannot do. Go ahead, say it out loud. I cannot do what God requires of me. I cannot do what God requires of me. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Moses was poor in spirit. When God said, go lead my people out of Egypt, Moses said, I cannot do what God requires of me. And God was able to use him. Gideon was poor in spirit when the angel showed up and said, Almighty warrior of Israel. Gideon said, I cannot do what God's requiring of me. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And God used him. The apostle Peter, when Jesus gave him a miraculous catch of fish, fell at his feet and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I cannot do what you require of me. And Jesus said, I can work with that spirit. The apostle Paul said, I am the worst sinner who has ever lived in the history of the world. I cannot do what God requires of me. And Jesus said, you are the exact person with the exact spirit that I want to use. I cannot do what God requires of me. That spirit, being poor in spirit, is the spirit that Jesus blesses. J.I. Packer, I gave you this book a few weeks ago to read. It says, not till we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down. Not until we're there can divine wisdom become ours. If God doesn't bless you with this spirit, this poor spirit of saying, I cannot do what God requires me. I'm going to need a bridge. I'm going to need a savior named Jesus. You won't develop it in America of 2020 because America of 2020 says self-help, self-care, self-love, me, me, me. America says find yourself, live yourself, be your best self, 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 self. It is the opposite of being poor in spirit. And here's what you need to understand in the year 2020 and in any other year that you may listen to this message online. You will not begin to search for the Savior until you quit searching for yourself. You just can't. You cannot come to Jesus poor in spirit until you've realized your spirit has nothing to offer you. Until you've realized your world has nothing to offer you. Until you've realized your shape and your makeup have nothing to offer you. Until you've realized your Enneagram has nothing to offer you. You will not begin looking for a Savior until you've stopped looking for yourself. And Jesus said, blessed are you when you quit looking for yourself because you don't believe in self anymore and you start looking for a savior. Blessed are you because that is when you're going to make the transition from living in a kingdom of self with a king or queen named you to the kingdom of heaven with a king named Jesus. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And that's where we want to get but you got to be careful that you're not looking for self. Oswald Chambers, who we've been studying all year long, has some powerful things to say about this. He said, the nature of sin is namely claiming a right to myself. 
The nature of sin is not immorality or wrongdoing. Those are the results of sin. But the nature of self-realization that always has this common basis, my claim to my right to myself, the nature of sin is this nature of self-realization that says, I need to know me, find me, be me, do me, 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 me. He said the nature of sin is making life all about you. And not until you lose you can you begin to find Jesus. He would say as he continues, every time I insist on having my own rights, I hurt the Son of God. See, those who are poor in spirit are willing to trade their nothing, their bankrupt spirit, for the fullness of the spirit that Jesus wants to give them. Blessed are the poor in spirit who've quit looking for self, who've quit serving self, who've quit celebrating self. Blessed are the poor in spirit who've realized that all they have is a broken spirit, but if they offer it to me, I'll receive it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is this trait of the way of Jesus being poor in spirit that actually unlocks, believe it or not, the rest of the Beatitudes. You must be poor in spirit to experience the remainder of the Beatitudes. If you're not poor in spirit, you will not mourn the sin and the brokenness in your spirit, so you can't be blessed are those who mourn. If you're not poor in spirit, you cannot take the strengths that God has given you that you find in your strength finder and return them to God and give them under his control so you can't be blessed are the meek. If you aren't poor in spirit, you'll never hunger and thirst for righteousness because you won't think you are empty of it if you're not poor in spirit. You will never need mercy and if you've never received mercy, you cannot be merciful so you can't be blessed are the merciful. If you're not poor in spirit, your heart will never be given over to Jesus, which means it never have, it will never have the purity of the Son of God, so you can't be blessed are the pure in heart. If you're not poor in spirit, you won't begin to see the world through the eyes of others and want to become a peacemaker, so you can't be blessed are the peacemakers. And only when you truly become like Jesus do you stand out far enough from the rest of the world to be persecuted for who you are and how you're different if you don't become poor in spirit you don't have access to any of the beatitudes it is the key that unlocks the rest of them coming to jesus surrendered and broken knowing i cannot do god what you require i cannot do what you require i'm poor in spirit jesus said now nah, you're in the place to be blessed if you really believe that because yours is going to be the kingdom of heaven you say what stands in the way what stands in the way of everyone when you say it that way, understanding that they are poor in spirit. Number three, prideful spirits. What stands in the way of people realizing that they're poor in spirit and exchanging their brokenness for Jesus' fullness? Prideful spirits stand in the way. I'm going to give you three prideful spirits to be aware of. And then I'm going to give you three what I call arrogant spirits to watch out for. Okay, how do we know if we have a prideful spirit? Letter A, you begin questioning God's standards. You begin questioning God's standards. Let me ask you a, a hypothetical question. What does it look like to think like the devil? How would you answer that question? What does it look like to think like the devil? The answer to that question is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it looks like to think like the devil, to question God's standards. As a matter of fact, the first thing that Satan said in Scripture was a question. He questioned God's standards to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So he said to the woman, did 
God really say? You know, Satan doesn't necessarily want to get you for the first step of walking away from God to disagree with what God has said. He just wants you to question it a little bit. Because he knows if he can get you to question God, that he is on the way in your life to helping you develop a prideful spirit. I mean, to think about it in those terms, to to question God, of course it would be a prideful spirit to question God, but you need to understand the opposite of being poor in spirit is having a questioning spirit. Now, I'm not talking to those of you who aren't Christians yet. I'm not talking to those of you who are asking questions, asking good questions, trying to find out more about faith. I'm speaking specifically to those of, those of you who would call yourself Christians, but when it's very clear, black and white, what God has to say in Scripture, you question whether he means it, whether he'll enforce it, whether you agree with it. You question God's standards. Are you questioning God's standards today? Because if you're questioning God's standards, you have this arrogant spirit inside of you. I think I have a little better understanding of this area than God does. I know what God says, but the way that I see it, I think maybe I understand it a little bit better. I know what God said in Genesis, but it's 2020. And I think maybe what God meant, questioning God's spirit is, is something that's going to put you on the road. Something that's going to put you on the road to having a prideful spirit. If you ever find yourself doing this, be cautious. Be cautious if you're questioning God's standards in life. And if you ever find yourself under a spiritual leader who's doing it, under a small group leader who's doing it, in spiritual community with someone who's doing it, run as far and as fast in the other direction as you can because they will become dangerous to your spiritual journey with Jesus. It's hard to be poor in spirit questioning all of God's standards. Well, it's another way to see if I have a prideful spirit in my life. When we lower God's standards, it's one thing to question God's standards. It's a total, another thing to lower God's standards. So I want you to, I want you to say two words with me that, um, that'll give you a picture of what it looks like to lower God's standards a little bit. I want you to say air, like air Jordan, say air, roof. Now say them together, air roof air roof. Now, if you change the F to a V, you'd be speaking Hebrew. There's a word in Hebrew called eruv. It looks like E-R-O-O-V, but it sounds like air roof, which is interesting because that's what it is. It's, it's kind of an air roof, air roof. You say, what's an air roof? Great question. Years ago, I was in Israel. We were driving through the streets of Jerusalem. This is right outside the Jaffa gate. And our guide pointed up and he said, you see this little wire stretching across with that little ribbon tied to it? And I looked up, I'd been in Israel dozens of times, been in Jerusalem dozens of times, and I'd I'd never seen one of those before. And I said, yeah, what is that? And he kind of laughed, and he said, that's an air roof. And I said, what what in the world is an air roof? And he said, look around, they're all over town. And I started looking, and sure enough, they were all over town. I said, okay, now I'm curious, what is it? And he said, in the Orthodox Judaism, there are laws that you can't travel outside your dwelling or outside the city walls on the Sabbath, But as people moved further and further away from the city but wanted to get back to where they were, they passed a law in religious Judaism that basically you could extend the city walls with these little air roofs. You could take wires, put string around them, and you could say even though the city wall's here, you can expand it in some places up to 30 miles so people can get where they need to get on the Sabbath. They basically took a law that God had given them, don't leave the city walls, 
on the Sabbath, and instead of keeping the law, they just changed the walls. Now, they didn't have enough money to build all the walls, so they just made fake walls. They lowered God's standards. You will find these in every Orthodox community in America. As a matter of fact, this sign on this pole is in Brooklyn, and it says the Eruv Inns. Because if you would look up, you would see this, the string stretching across with a little ribbon tied to it so that the Orthodox Jews in Brooklyn could get where they needed to go on the Sabbath, even though God's standard said one thing. And they said, we want to keep the standard. We'll just lower the standards. We'll just, God said, don't, don't leave the walls. We'll move the walls. God said, don't leave your dwelling. We'll move the dwelling. We'll just lower God's standard. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 said, this is what people do. When they hear God's standards and they know they can't meet God's standard, instead of being poor in spirit and say, I cannot do what God requires, what do I do now? They just change the standards. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, Paul says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own. They wouldn't submit to God's righteousness. Because they could not do what God required, which was be perfect, and because they were unwilling to submit to King Jesus, who could make them perfect with his forgiveness, they just lowered the standards. They just created new walls. They just changed the boundaries. Listen, when the standard God has set for you has boundaries that you cannot possibly keep, except through Jesus, the answer is not change the boundaries so you can keep them. The answer is bring your brokenness to Jesus and say, only through you can I meet God's standard. Be poor in spirit so you can be blessed with the kingdom of heaven. When we look at lowering God's standards, you have this arrogant spirit number two. I think I'm a little more reasonable in this area than God. Like, I think I know what God's getting at, but I think God needs to be a little more reasonable. So I know what God's standard has said, but I think this makes it a little better. This allows more people to fit inside of God's standard. I know what God's standard says, but I'm a little more reasonable than God on this area. So here's the standard I would like to keep. Be careful. When the God who sees all of history from the first day of history to the last day in the future, and he sees it all at one time, says this is the standard that needs to be kept for, humu- for humanity. Don't think that in a lifetime of 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, you could figure out something that he hasn't figured out yet and your reasonableness could allow more people to fit inside his standards. Don't do that. That's an arrogant spirit to think, well, God just doesn't see this like I see. He sees everything. You just don't see things like God sees them. So be poor in spirit and follow him. Be careful when we try to lower God's standards. And then finally, man, be cautious of this. Let her see just changing God's standards. God says, A, I do B. God says, right, I go left. God says, up, I go down. God says, out, I come in. God gives us a standard. It's very, very clear. I just change the standard. Listen, we gotta be careful. God's very, very clear on this. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, I wanna show you something. God said to Moses as the people were getting ready to enter the promised land, therefore take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws that I give you today. Which one of these words to you sounds like suggestion or opinion? Which one of these words sounds like God saying, hey, I know I've, gi- I've given you some good advice. Take it or leave it. God says very clearly, therefore take care to follow all of the commands, the decrees, and the laws that I give you today. What comes next is fascinating and heartbreaking to me. God is gonna show us in Deuteronomy chapter seven how following his law will, be, will bring blessing. And then he's gonna show us why some people change his law. And I need, if you haven't listened to anything yet, I really need you to lean into this point. 
God's going to show us how following his law will be, bring blessing, but then he's going to show us why people who personally want to follow his law are willing to change his standards. I think maybe this could be the most important message you ever hear. Let's walk through Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. If you pay attention to the laws, you're careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. That's good news. What does he say? Let's continue verse 14 and 15. You'll be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless. None of your livestock will be without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. That's good news. Still good news. Follow the law of God and things are going to go good. But then in verse 16, he says something that I think every Christian in America needs to hear. He said, this is why, this is why you'll be tempted to change my standard. He says in Deuteronomy 16, you got to destroy all the peoples the Lord your God gives over to you. Don't look on them with pity and don't serve their gods for that'll be a snare to you. The vast majority of very sincere Christians that I know who walk with God and follow God, who at any point in their life have been willing to change God's standard, to change it completely to something else, do so because they feel sorry for someone else. It really has nothing to do with their walk. They're looking at somebody and they're looking at the standards of Jesus and they're looking at somebody who doesn't fit inside the standards of Jesus and instead of praying that God will change that person's heart to be poor in spirit, they change the standards to build a bigger wall so they can fit into. And here's what you need to understand. This is where that will lead. Feeling sorry for others can cause you to feel resentment towards God. It can cause you to walk away from God. It can cause you to change God's standard where God so clearly said X and you go Y. Where God so clearly says right and you go left. Where God so clearly says up and you go down. You not only change God's standards, you resent God for having a standard, but you do so. Listen, God warned us. He told us. You do so because you've begun to feel sorry for someone who refuses to live by God's standard. And instead of praying that God will change them, you force God to change his standards. And it just doesn't work that way. That is about as far from poor in spirit as you can possibly get. That's where you get to what Oswald Chambers says, never tolerate because of sympathy for yourself or for others. Any practice is not really keeping with a holy God. Listen, never tolerate because you feel sorry for yourself or you feel sorry for someone else. Never tolerate changing God's standards because you feel sorry for someone else or you feel sorry for yourself. And if we look at what attitude this produces, it produces this arrogant spirit. Number three, I, I just disagree with God. And then you, get, then you get to a place you don't even want to say in church. He's wrong. I just disagree with God on this point. He is wrong. That is a prideful spirit. Jesus today began this message saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who don't question God's standard. Blessed are those who don't lower God's standard. Blessed are those who don't try to change God's standard. Blessed are those who want an internal contentedness that external circumstances can't change. Blessed are those people because they are the ones who really know how to follow Jesus, King Jesus, into the kingdom of heaven. It is the exact opposite of people who say, I think God's got this one wrong. I disagree with him. He's wrong. You know, Job and his friends tried this. Job and his friends tried to call God unfair 
because of what they allowed Job to experience. Job and his friends tried to call God unfair because of something they didn't totally understand. And God spoke back to them. In Job chapter 40, he answered the way that I think he answers everyone who has this arrogant spirit of, I disagree with God, I think he's wrong. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and said, brace yourself like a man. Now, when God says that to you, you better brace yourself like a man. Brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you and you're going to answer me. Are you going to discredit my justice? Are you condemning me to justify yourself? God's saying, are you looking at the way, are you, are you looking at the way I deal with humanity and questioning whether I'm fair? Are you, are you looking at the way that I lead humanity and telling me you love people more than I do? He couldn't have told Job this, but he has told us, I sent my son to die for you. Would you have your kids die for someone who will never follow you? I've been patient for all these years while you were still sinners. I sent my son to die for you. He stepped out of heaven and became a man to serve man, to die on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, to eventually raise from the dead so you could have a second chance. You're telling me you love human, you love people more than I do. You love your brother and sister more than I do. You love your kids more than I do. You love your husband or wife more than I do. You love your neighbors and teammates more than I do. You, you, you love culture more than I do. You saying, you're saying you love people more than I do. Are you discrediting my justice? Are you condemning me because you think your heart is bigger than mine? Those are big questions. They're not questions I'm asking you. They're questions God is asking you. When you change his standards, when you change his standards, usually because you believe you care about somebody more than he does because he's given his standard and you say they don't fit inside the standard, so God must be wrong. We have to be careful because disagreeing with God is the opposite of being poor in spirit. I think Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 very well sums up what being poor in spirit looks like when Proverbs says the fear of the Lord this is the beginning of wisdom. You really want to know how to have spiritual wisdom? Realize that you are not God, that he is, and one day you're going to answer to him. Let me say it again. You really want to learn how to have wisdom? Realize that you are not God. Realize that he is, and realize one day you're going to have to answer to him. Because when you do that, you will have the right spirit. You will be poor in spirit. And that is the spirit that God can hand the kingdom of heaven to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They say, all right, kingdom of heaven, what is that? Here's what you need to know today. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven with King Jesus until you leave the kingdom of self under the rule of king or queen you. Oswald Chambers says it this way. We go to him one more time. The knowledge of our own poverty is what brings us to the proper place where Jesus Christ accomplishes his work. And you say, what is his work? Isaiah 57 says it's this. This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. God says, I live with those who are poor in spirit. Why? To revive their spirit and to revive the heart of the contrite. You know, if you're here today and you are poor in spirit, it's good news. God says, I can revive your spirit. If you're here today and your heart is broken, good news. God says, I can revive your heart. But you've got to be beggar poor spiritually. You've got to realize I cannot do what God requires, but if I will bring all my brokenness to Jesus, he can and he will do it for me. He'll do it through me, and King Jesus will invite me into his 
kingdom. Have you ever come to Jesus poor in spirit to receive his kingdom, to let him be the king of your life? If you never have, today you can do that by opening your heart, opening your hands, and coming to Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. All over the room, for those who are outside, for those who may be watching online, if you came into church this morning, separated from Jesus, there could be a lot of reasons why, but if you leave, it's because you've chosen to remain that way. If you've never drawn close to God by placing your faith in Jesus, today is the day you can do that, but you have to tell Jesus you need him. You have to admit that your spirit is poor. It's beggar poor. It can't do anything more for itself. And you've got to come to Jesus with open hands to receive his kingdom. If you've never done that, you can pray and tell Jesus that's the desire of your heart today. You literally can have a change of heart and a change of life today. You say, Christian, how do I do that? Just pray these words from your heart to heaven. You don't have to pray them out loud. Just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Just repeat after me, Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive my sin and my brokenness. Forgive the pride in me that makes me think I can do life my own way. Today I surrender everything I have to you. Come into my heart and life and lead me. Today I want to commit to follow Jesus and to let him be my king. If you just pray that prayer with me in just a second, our campus pastor is going to come up and let you know how you can tell us that you made a spiritual decision so we can follow up with you, pray with you, pray for you, give you some resources, just celebrate with you. If you prayed with me a minute ago, we'd really like to know. Please plan to tell us at the end of the service today. But before we close in prayer, Christians, let me talk to you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but hearts are wide open. Christians, is there even a trace of a prideful spirit in you that's keeping you from all that God has for you? Is there even a trace of a prideful, questioning, lowering, changing spirit in you that's keeping you from all that God has for you? If so, confess it confess it, repent of it. Tell God, I've got a questioning spirit. I've got a spirit that wants to expand your boundaries. I've got a spirit that disagrees with you sometimes. Repent of it. Tell God you're wrong. You're sorry. Only he can know what is truly right. Become beggar poor spiritually. Come to him poor in spirit. Receive all the kingdom that he has for you. Jesus will give you his peace. He'll give you his blessing. He'll give you his kingdom. As our band gets ready to lead us in worship today. God, we come to you and we thank you for what you've taught us. We thank you for what we've learned. God, help us to learn the ways of Jesus so we can live life like Jesus as followers of Jesus, because you told us that blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the pure in heart, and blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted and insulted because of you. So, Father, give us the blessedness of a supernatural spirit that, Lord, even when all of life is chaos around us, there is peace and calm within because of Jesus. Give us that blessedness in our spirit as we seek to follow you and worship you. And, Lord, do it as we surrender our poor spirit for your rich love. The Lord, our empty spirit for the filling of your Holy Spirit. Do it, Lord. Bring us your blessedness. We love you, and we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Stand and worship with Ken and the team this morning.